podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast on Thursday, the 6th of October, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from, while also keeping your data safe. So if you're a UK expat and you want to watch Match of the Day on BBC iPlayer and are sick of seeing... This content is not available in your location. A Liberty Shield VPN will get you around that block, get you watching what you want to watch, and, like I say, keep the data safe. Also gets you access as a UK expat to BBC iPlayer, ITV Hub, all four. Now TV, really good for the Now TV as well. Sky Gold even work. There you are. If you're an Irish expat, RTE player... Always handy to have. You might want to watch a little bit of primetime. The Oroctus Report. It's the type of stuff I like to watch. LibertyShield.com. Use the code EPL25. EPL25. To get 25% off at checkout. Both the hardware and the software package available to you. Check out your options on LibertyShield.com. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops. You'll find them on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off at checkout. Finally, 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 there is a new TAD Predictable podcast out today. Tadiwa joined by producer Guy to predict this weekend's Premier League games. So make sure you give that a listen on this feed. And on Sunday night, Monday morning, EPL Roundtable out on its own feed. Just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast providing application. And there it will be. Hosted by the great Kevin DeVries. Right, folks. Champions League last night. And we had some... Some good games. We did. We had some good games of football. RB Salzburg won. Dinamo Zagreb nil. Noah Okafor with the penalty. The only goal of the game on 71 minutes. Salzburg created a lot of chances in that game, but until the penalty couldn't put anything away. Their cousins, I suppose, RB Leipzig beat Celtic 3-1. Uh, Christopher Nkunku and two from Andre Silva. Jota had equalised to bring Celtic back into it at 1-1. I thought they were going to make a game of it, but unfortunately it wasn't to be. Look, Leipzig have five players who cost more than £20 in this current team. 
Uh, no Celtic player in history has ever cost more than 10 million. That tells you the financial gap between the clubs. And it told on the pitch, credit to Leipzig. Celtic gave them a good game of it, but Leipzig just had that extra quality and Celtic couldn't cope with it. Chelsea 3, AC Milan 0. Wesley Fafana, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and Reese James with the goals. A comprehensive win for Chelsea, a well-deserved win for Chelsea. Uh, the one big negative being a potential injury to Wesley Fafana that looked quite serious. He left on crutches and with his knee in a protective brace. They're, I think, having a scan on him today or tomorrow, waiting for swelling to go down. And we'll see what comes out of that. You'd hope it's nothing too serious because it's a very talented player. Uh, this result of this game has led to a lot of talk in the British media, and by that I mean talk sport, about the quality of Syria and whether it is any good. Uh, let me remind those people that Napoli wiped the floor with Liverpool not all that long ago. But this wasn't a full-strength AC Milan team. This was a Milan team missing a lot of players, including their goalkeeper and both starting fullbacks. So don't take too much from what you saw from Milan last night. They are better than what you witnessed last night. Now, I will say Liverpool did go to the San Siro last season with the reserve team and beat them quite comfortably. This Milan team has struggled in the Champions League last season and this season, but they are better, much better than what we saw last night. And that left side of Theo Hernandez and Rafael Leao is one of the best in Europe. Last night without Theo there, you had Toure playing left back and he's a decent player, but he's nowhere near the level of Theo Hernandez, who's one of the best left backs in the world. Calabria is a much better right back than Sergio Dest, and Mike Mannion is just levels and levels and levels above uh, Tatra Zunu, who tries his best but isn't very good. Um, there were other players, squad players and, and options missing, but you can't take much from that game. But you do take for Chelsea lots of confidence and the first win of the Graham Potter era. Now, as always... On football Twitter, Reese James scoring a goal uh, led to him being acclaimed as better than Trent Alexander-Arnold as the best right back in the world. Uh, I will just point out, firstly, he doesn't play right back. Secondly, his job is primarily to defend and Leo made him look quite poor a couple of times. And thirdly, He's just not as good as Trent. He just is not as good as Trent. Now, he is just under a year younger than Trent Alexander-Arnold. Let me read you his individual accomplishments as a player. Like Forgetting team awards, team trophies, his individual accomplishments. Chelsea Academy Player of the Year in the 17-18 season. Wigan Player of the Year in 1819, Wigan's Players Player of the Year in 1819, Wigan's Goal of the Season in 1819, the PFA Community Champion Award, and the FA Cup Team of the Year in 2021. That's his. 
Trent Alexander-Arnold, Liverpool Young Player of the Year, 16-17 and 17-18. PFA Team of the Year, 18-19, 19-20 and 21-22. PFA Young Player of the Year in 19-20. Champions League Squad of the Season in 18-19. Champions League Team of the Season in 21-22. The FIFA Pro World Eleven in 2020, Premier League Player of the Month in December 2019 and November 2021, IFFHS Men's World Team of the Year 2019 and 2020, UEFA Team of the Year 2019, Premier League Young Player of the Season in 1920, and ESM, that's the European Sports Media, Team of the Year in 1920 and 21-22. I mean, it's not even close. It's not even close. Reese James, for his career, has 15 goals, the same as Trent. Now, he has played 50 games less at club level. But he plays as a wing-back and Trent plays as a full-back. So, Reese James who gets into the the opposition penalty area a lot more than Trent, really should have more goals than he does. But where the comparison really falls apart is when we look at the creative numbers. Because Rhys James is a great crosser of the ball. I'd never take that away from him. I think he's a tremendous player. I really do. I think he's a tremendous player. But... When you compare him to Trent, you're putting him in rarefied air. Now, Trent has three goals this season. Reese James has two goals and two assists. Trent has no assists yet. Though he should really have one for the corner against Brighton. He really should have an assist for that. But if we look at career assists for both players... You've got Reese James, again, playing most of his football as a wing-back. 38 assists, including some at youth level. If we take out the youth level ones, that's 6 gone, 8 gone, 11 gone. So 27 career assists. Actually, and Premier League 2, 24 career assists, along with 15 goals. Three of those goals and three of those assists came at championship level, but we'll allow that. Trent has 15 goals, like I mentioned. In terms of assists, 45 in the Premier League, 12 in the Champions League, one in the FA Cup, three in the League Cup, and one in the World Club Cup. Now, Maths wasn't always one of my strongest subjects of school. But that, to me, looks like an awful lot more. That looks like 62 career assists for Trent in roughly 50 more games. But if we count in all those youth figures, if we count them in, Reese has played 256 games, 21,000 minutes. Sorry, Reese has played 257 games, about 20,000 minutes. 
and Trent has played 256 games. So one game less, but about a thousand game, a thousand minutes more. Reese has 20 goals and 38 assists. Trent has 19 and 66. It's not even close. It's just not even close. Trent is the better footballer. He's a better passer of the ball. He's a better control uh, controller of the ball. He's a better crosser of the ball. And there's nothing between them defensively. It just gets highlighted more when it's Trent because Liverpool bad. Reese is, is a fantastic young player. He's not as good as Trent. If you were to put them in a team together, managed by a real manager, not Gareth Southgate, Trent would be the right back and Reese James would play on the right of midfield, either in a three or a four. He'd either be a, like a right-sided midfielder in a four or the right side of a midfield three. Trent would be the right back because Trent is the better right back. I'd love to see them play together. I really would. I think they could be fantastic together. But Trent is the better right back, and that's just how it is. And comparisons between the... Like, put it this way. When people talk about Trent, they talk about Danny Alves, Zanetti, Cafu. When people talk about Reese James, they talk about Trent. Put it that way. Um, really good player. Not as good as Trent. Let's move on. Juventus 3, Maccabee Haifa 1. 2 for Rabio and Dusan Vlahovic scoring in between. Dean David scoring the only goal for Haifa. Good win for Juve. Maybe a bit of pressure lifted on Max Allegri. Real Madrid 2, Shakhtar 1. Rodrigo and Vinicius Jr. put Real 2 up. Zubkov got Shakhtar back into the game and they did look like they might cause Real a couple of problems on the counter-attack but Real were quite dominant in this game, they had they had 36 shots, they had 36 shots and 14 of them were on target which is a, a fair effort uh, Sevilla won, Dortmund 4 Rafael Guerrero, Jude Bellingham and Kareem Adeyemi had put Dortmund 3 up, Yusuf Naziri got one back for Sevilla and Julian Brand made it 4-1 on 75. If I told you that Sevilla had 60% of the ball, more shots and only one less shot on target in that game, you'd, you'd think something mental had happened. And something mental did happen. It was a bizarre game where everything that uh, Dortmund were able to get on target found its way into the net. Um, and After that game, Julian Lopetegui, was uh, relieved of his duties and he is no longer the Sevilla manager. He is obviously strongly linked to the Wolves job, but that remains to be seen whether he will take that job or not. There is some suggestion he might like a bit of a break. It's been quite a hectic time at Sevilla over the last three years. It's been a bit of a slog probably the last eight months. Um, so maybe he would like a break rather than jumping straight back in. But he will find another job without question. Absolutely excellent coach. Um, he is the second manager who lost their job yesterday. Gerardo Sione was dismissed by Bayer Leverkusen. I get the Lopetegui one. And in truth, it would hindsight obviously been a great gift. He probably should have walked in the summer. 
that probably should have been it. Three years at Sevilla is a long time. There's a lot of noise at Sevilla, a lot of moving parts. It's always a little bit... You always feel like the wheels could come off at any time. So maybe he should have gone in the summer. But Sione, I, I think they've made a mistake. Now, it remains to be seen how they do under their new manager, and we'll get to him. But... Yes, the season was going badly. Yes, they'd only won one of eight league games with two draws and five defeats. And yes, they do currently sit 17th in the Bundesliga. But remember, only two teams get relegated from the Bundesliga. And it's not like they were cut adrift from the rest of the league. They're level on points with Stuttgart, one point behind Schalke, two points behind Hertha Berlin and three points behind Wolfsburg. One win could literally lift you into 13th place. One win. With the way the goal difference is as well. One win could get you right up there. But they decided to move on. And they've appointed Xabi Alonso. Now... It remains to be seen what Alonso really is as a manager. He's only worked with Real Sociedad's B team. And obviously that's a strange job in itself because if a player does really well, it's not that you worry about them getting transferred. They'll just get plucked into the first team squad, assuming they're registered. Um, which, and if they're a young player, they don't need to be registered. Um he walks into a into a super talented squad. I I love this squad of players. I think it's excellent. I think they're probably two players away from having a really really special team. Now it would be a young team, but don't like the goalkeeper uh, Radecki. Now I know he is the captain, but I wouldn't be a fan. I think you look to replace him. I think potentially they could put together the best young back four in Europe. Young back four in Europe. Emphasis on young. Um, Jeremy Frimpong as the right back. Piero Hincapé as a left back. And then a central defensive pairing of Odilon Kasunu and Edmund Tapsapa. I think as a, as a back four, that could be really special. And it would be very easy to work because you just you give Frimpong license to bomb forward down the right. You get Hincapé to tuck in and form a back three. Kasunu, Tapsapa, Hincapé. And I think you've got your base. Frimpong is an absolute whirling dervish once he goes forward. Um, I think they've got some issues in midfield that could be need to be addressed. I like Robert Andrich. I think he's a decent player, but I, I think he's upgradable. I'd want to get Ezekiel Palacios back into that team when he's fit because um, I think he can be really good. Now, he has struggled for consistency there, but there's no doubting the talent. Florian Verts, when he comes back, he's your 10. That's a simple one. They've missed him massively this season. Um, and you've got the likes of Adam Hlozek, Amin Adli, Musa Diaby, obviously. Callum Hudson-Odoi is there on loan. They're your wide options. That's 
that's incredible depth. Paulinho can also play in those wide areas or as a 10. Uh, Zertimer, Zidane Zertimer, he can play in those areas. Lots and lots of talent. You've got Daly Sincraven, he can play as a left winger. You've got Sardar Ausman as a backup to Patrick Schick up front. Like, I think two signings, one in midfield and a goalkeeper, and all of a sudden you're looking like a real outfit there. And you've got some decent depth. You've got Jonathan Thaw as a centre-back. You can bring back Sadiq Fafana maybe. Uh, off that two-year loan he's on at Nuremberg. Now, you might not want to bring him back. You might want to let him get the experience. But you've got Timothy Fosu-Mensa can play right-back or centre-back. You've got Daly Sincraven and Mitchell Bakar if you want a more attack-minded left-back. You've got that option. You've got Nadim Amiri, who's a good player, just a little bit inconsistent. Kareem Demerbay is a good player. Robert Andrich, like I said, is a good player. Um, I think Charles Oringes is probably two years past being useful but does bring some leadership. And that academy is always producing decent players. You've also got Kareem Bellarabi, who's still there. Uh, and again, good leadership. There's probably a couple of super talented players in that academy because there just has been routinely for the last few years. I just think that group of players under the right manager, and I, I do think Sione was the right manager, had the potential to get really special and challenge for the Bundesliga with a couple of additions. But they've moved on. They said they had no option. I think you did have an option. There's 26 league games left. You're going to get Florian Wirtz back in a couple of months. You've only got a handful of games left till the European break. If you go out of the Champions League group stage, I mean, did you really expect to win the Champions League? Did you expect to go a whole lot, lot further? I'm not sure you did. Um, I'm sure when you saw the group, you thought, okay, maybe, you know, Atleti will go through and Porto will go, you know, us and Porto then for second. But, you know, Club Bruges are running away with it and you're in a battle now with Porto and Atleti for second. If you end up bottom and going out, well, that's a disappointment. But you then refocus on the league. You have 26 league games left, like I said. There's no reason you couldn't climb that table rapidly after the World Cup break, especially with Wurtz back, especially if you go in January and add one or two pieces. You might not want to add a goalkeeper because it is your club captain, but you'd definitely add in midfield. For certain, you'd add in midfield. Um, oh, Eamon Azil is the other player I missed. He's another really talented young midfielder that can play a part for them. So there's just this talent galore in that squad like it's it's almost silly how much talent they have it's almost silly and I think Sione would have gotten great results with them like last season he finishes third like are we forgetting how bad you'd been the year before you sacked Peter Bowles brought in Hannes Wolf finished sixth fifth the year before that like I just I just think they've been rash. They brought in Xabi Alonso. And we'll see how he does. We'll, he's going to get time. He's going to get patience. Um, but at the same time, if it goes really badly, 
He will be out in his ear. Obviously a tremendously smart player. And when he was managing in the Real Academy, there was a lot of good buzz around him. Bit of a mixed bag with Saucy Dad, but it's a strange level to manage at anyway. So we'll see how he does. We'll see how he does. I hope he does well, because I've always liked Alonso. And, <clears throat> excuse me, and I would like to see him do well as a manager. Uh, back to last night's games then. Uh, Benfica won, PSG won. Really good result for Benfica. Messi had put Barca one up. Uh, Danilo Pereira equalised uh, for Benfica with an own goal. Um, and then, of course, Manchester City 5, Copenhagen nil. Uh, two for Erling Haaland, because, you know, why wouldn't you? Um, an own goal. Riyad Mahrez doing what Riyad Mahrez does, scoring a penalty to make it 4-0. And Julian Alvarez with the fifth. City had 30 shots and 16 on target. Copenhagen had two shots, none on target. City had 60, 76% of the ball. Uh, this was an incredibly lopsided game. I did enjoy the twi the City Twitter account tweeting out after the game, how good was this man tonight with a picture of Jack Grealish, who was 6 out of 10 at best. Um, it must be nice to just have De Bruyne and Rodri on the bench and just be able to leave them there. That must be nice. Big win for City, though. Uh, but bad news for City. Kyle Walker potentially out for an extended period. He has had surgery. There is now some question as to whether he'll make the World Cup or not. And it may well be that we don't see him again until January, well, until St. Stephen's Day or Boxing Day, uh, if you prefer. So that's a blow. That is a blow. Uh, right, let's look at the Europa League games tonight. We have a full slate. And in the Early kickoffs, of which there are eight. We have FC Zurich versus PSV Eindhoven, Sturm Graz versus Lazio, Sheriff Tiraspol versus Real Sociedad, Red Star versus Ferenc Varos, Ammonia versus Manchester United. Um, perhaps Cristiano will start and um. You know, maybe he'll maybe he'll have his first contribution of the season because obviously it has not gone well this year for him. Uh, one goal thus far, but eight appearances, one goal, kind of a forgettable goal as well. If we're if we're all being really honest about the situation, it hasn't been uh, in any way a good season, and it was a penalty as well. Like he hasn't scored from open play uh, after eight appearances. That's probably the worst run of his career since he was a kid. Um, Monaco versus Trabzonspor. HJK Helsinki versus Ludogorets. Malmo versus Union Berlin. They are the early kickoffs. In the later kickoffs, 8pm, it's Mitalian versus Feyenoord. Should be a good one. Ren versus Dinamo Kiev is the game I'm going to watch. Olympiacos versus Quarabeg. Braga versus Union St. Gilles. St. Gilles? St. Gilles, I don't know. 
Fenerbahce versus AEK Larnaca. Freiburg versus Nantes. If Nantes were in better form, that'd be a decent game, but they're not. Freiburg should win it comfortably. Arsenal versus Bodo Glimt. I'm looking forward to seeing how that one goes. I'll probably have it on the second TV. Um, that's Bodo will be fearless. And then Roma versus Real Betis is probably the biggest game of the night. I think I'm going to watch Ren just because I, there's so many fun players there. There's so many fun players at that club. I think that's who I'm going to watch. It'll be that or Roma Betis, but I might throw the Arsenal game on the second TV and just kind of keep one eye on it. Um, that is your Europa League fixtures for tonight. There are also, obviously, Europa Conference League fixtures. Again, 8 early, 5.45 p.m. UK time. 8 late, 8 p.m. UK time. Uh, Lech Poznan versus Beersheva. Slovakko versus Nice. Molda versus Shamrock Rovers. Silkberg versus the artist formerly known as Stoja Bucharest. Sivaspor versus Balkani. Pionic versus Zalgiris. Dnipro versus Vaduz. Anderlecht versus West Ham. Should be a decent enough game. And then the late games, uh, Ghent versus Jurgarden, Slavia Prague versus Cluj, Basel versus Slovan Bratislava, Cologne versus Partizan Belgrade, Hearts versus Fiorentina, Villarreal versus Austria Vienna, AZ Alkmaar against Apollin, and or the RFS or Skola as they're often known against Istanbul Besiktas. Uh, they they top their group and they are looking at a bit of a problem in this competition for other teams right now. Um some decent games tonight, no doubt. I think I think Anderlecht West Ham is is probably the pick of the early games in terms of the conference league. Though Molde Shamrock Rovers obviously will have to be on um, the late games, Hearts, Fiorentina, that might be worth a bit of a watch. Fiorentina have been dreadful in the competition, obviously, but might be worth a bit of a watch. There's one or two interesting players in that Fiorentina team. Anyway, that is our European football for tonight. I'll be back after the break when we have listeners' questions. See you in a sec. Uh, just before we get into the listeners' questions, there are just two things I want to take note of. Uh, number one, Tottenham have announced the passing of their fitness coach, Gianpero Ventrone, uh, who has passed away at the age of 61, part of Antonio Conte's backroom staff. Um, he was a key figure in the Italian backroom team for the 2006 World Cup when Italy went on to win it uh, under Marcello Lippi um, he was diagnosed with leukemia just a few days ago and his health declined really quickly and he passed away at a hospital in Naples so uh, thoughts obviously with his friends and his family 
thoughts with Spurs and with Antonio Conte, who was quite close to him. Uh, this is obviously a very tough time for them. And um, he will always be part of the legacy of that Italian team that won the World Cup and uh, made his mark on the game. So, yeah, may he rest in peace. Um, the other thing I wanted to note was Pep Guardiola came out after the game last night and said that it was not true that Erling Haaland had a release clause that allowed him to join Real Madrid in 2024. Now, the wording of that is important. There is no release clause that allows him to join Real Madrid, but when he signed for City, nobody suggested that there was a release clause that specified he could join Real Madrid. That's not the way Haaland his, and his people work. They just put in a release clause. And that was widely reported by very well-connected journalists, both on the German side, on the city side, and as well as that, on the agency side. People with good connections to that agency reported that as well. So, no, he probably does not have a release clause for Real Madrid or any other specific team, but I would bet there is a release clause in his contract. I would bet large sums of money that there is. In the same way that I would bet that City's entire investment in him goes well over the £200 million mark. Well over it. The fee, which a German journalist told me recently, the buyout was sixteen million, was sixty-five million pounds. City got him a little bit for for less because Dortmund owed them money for Sancho, so that's how that worked. And the father got twenty million. The agency got thirty million. The player got 20 million and the wages are around 400 grand a week on a five-year contract. That's 100 million to him on the five-year contract plus the 20 million signing bonus plus the 50-odd million transfer fee gets us to 170 plus the agent fees plus the fee to the father. That's 220. And there's probably some other figures that I've missed there that need to go into that. So that's a, an exceptionally large uh, investment in the player. Now, Look, the, the early results suggest uh, he was worth every penny and maybe a little bit more. Uh, it's actually hilarious um, what he's doing at the moment with 19 goals in 12 games. Uh, I will just say, I saw, <clears throat> I saw a fluff piece yesterday about him saying he's undoubtedly the most complete striker in the world. And I just thought that is the biggest load of garbage I've seen since I saw the fellow the night before having a pop at Lopetegui. Uh, he's not the most complete striker in the world. He just isn't. And he hasn't worked harder than anybody else to make himself a world-class striker. Let's just be fair. Let's look at his attributes. His three biggest attributes are his size, his speed, and his movement. Now, movement is something he has worked on a ton. Because his movement was very rudimentary when he was younger and it's very, very good now. 
But his size and his speed are not footballing attributes. They're physical attributes. They're things he was born with. He does not have the hold-up play of a Benzema or a Kane or a Lewandowski. He doesn't have the link play of a Kane or a Benzema. He doesn't have the finishing of a Kane or a Lewandowski. Karim Benzema is the best all-round striker in the world. He's the most complete striker in the world. Harry Kane is second and Lewandowski is third. This rush to anoint Haaland is purely based on a reactionary take to what he's doing this season. And what he's doing this season is phenomenal. The kid is phenomenal. It's ridiculous what he has done over the past, what, four seasons? Three and a bit seasons? Like the Salzburg-Dortmund year where he plays 40 games and scores 44 goals between the Austrian Bundesliga and the Bundesliga. Then the next season, he plays 41 games and scores 41 goals. Last season, he played 30 games and scored 29 goals. And like obviously this season, uh, 19 goals in 12 games. It's ridiculous. That is absolutely obscene. But it's not like we haven't seen this done before. We saw Cristiano and Lionel Messi do this for a decade in La Liga. We saw Luis Suarez do it in the Premier League and then La Liga. We've seen Benzema do it in recent years. We've seen Lewandowski do it in the Bundesliga in recent years. Because it's the Premier League and he's got 14 and 8 games, people obviously want to make a bigger deal of it. But the truth of the matter is, the Premier League, from a defensive point of view, isn't very good. And hasn't been for a while. There's, there's one or two standout defensive team sometimes three but generally it's Liverpool City and then a massive gap to everybody else and the other teams that tend to have good defensive records don't score any goals so you know credit to him he's been incredible uh, in terms of his goal output but like, let's also remember who he's got putting chances on a plate for him. he's got Phil Foden Bernardo Silva Ilkay Gundogan and Kevin De Bruyne and Jack and Sale. If you put Kane, Lewandowski, or Benzema in that team, they would score the same amount of goals, if not more. So, you know, let's just let's just pump the brakes a little bit on wanting to hype everything uh, as the greatest thing in the world because it's the shiny new thing. Right, questions. Uh, Sports Lens, four questions for today's pods. What would be an 11 versus 11 of your favourite players you've seen and why? So I'll just pick two for each position and I'll explain why. Goalkeepers. Uh, Gigi Buffon is the best goalkeeper I've ever seen. I think he's also my favourite goalkeeper bar one. Um, I, I just love watching him play. I love the fact that I got to see his entire career and it's obviously still going. Uh, but I've, you know, I, I, I've seen his entire career unfold and it, it, is, it has been spectacular. Um, I might pick like a best 11 versus like my kind of favorite 11, if, if that's okay. Uh, my goalkeeper, my favorite 11, players I have soft spots for, Gianluca Pagliuca. Because uh, I, I just, when I started watching Serie A, he was, him and Peruzzi were the two top keepers and I just preferred him. Um, an incredible shot stopper and I just always, always liked him. Um, back fours. Best right back I've seen is Javier Zanetti. The best left back I've seen 
is Paolo Maldini. The two best centre-backs I've ever seen. I'll go Baresi and Nesta. In my favourite 11, I'm going Lillian Turam at right. I'm going to go with a... I'm going to go with a box midfield in the best team I've seen and a back three with a sweeper in my favourite 11. So the... Back five, then, in my favourite 11, I'm going to go with Philippe Lamb as my right wing back and Dennis Irwin as my left wing back. I don't know that I ever saw either of them have a bad game. They were just always 7 out of 10 at worst. I don't know that I ever saw either of them get roasted. And I'm... I know a lot of people think Ashley Cole when they think best Premier League left-back, but for me, it's Dennis Irwin. Dennis Irwin, for me, is the second best left-back I've seen, the, the third best left-back I've seen after Roberto Carlos. And I'd be tempted to pick Carlos, pick Carlos at left-wing back and shift Irwin to right-wing back because he was right-footed. Irwin was a great cross for the ball. That's what I'll do. I'll go Carlos left-wing back and Irwin right-wing back and... Not of the cap to Philippe Lam, great player, but you just miss out. Um, my back three then for my favorite eleven. Um, I'm going to go Lillian Turam and Daniel Agger as my centre backs, and I know Agger didn't reach his potential, but I just I loved him. I loved watching Agger play. He was so graceful. He was so good, and he was tough as nails as well. Um, not of the cap to Virgil. He'll he'll be in one of these teams when it's all said and done, I think. But for now, I'm going with... Because I want a left footer as well. And I have to have Turam. I have to have Turam. So Turam and Agar. And my sweeper is going to be Matthias Sammer. Um, best midfield... Lothar Mateus. I'm going to go Mateus and Rijkaard. I'm going to go Mateus and Rijkaard. Use Rijkaard more as your defensive midfielder, Mateus as your central midfielder. Both of them sensational. Both of them a great longevity in their careers. I'll go those two. Zidane and Iniesta as sort of twin attacking midfielders behind... I have to have Maradona, though, don't I? I just have to have Maradona. And Messi. I'll go Zidane and Maradona. Iniesta, sorry for you. Uh, up front, Messi and the original Ronaldo, or nine, the original Ronaldo. That's my, that's that eleven. So, Buffon, Zanetti, Nesta, Baresi, Maldini, Mateus, and Rijkaard, Maradona, Zidane, Messi, Ronaldo. That's that's that team. The other team then, 
Paluka, Irwin, Turam, Zammer, Agar, Roberto Carlos, midfield, Redondo, I'll go Redondo and Iniesta with Michael Loudrup as a 10 in front of them. And Loudrup and Iniesta can swap roles through the game. And then up front, Luis Suarez and Roberto Baggio. All of those players, through years of watching them, just filled me with joy. And I've left out a bunch that, that did as well. I've left out Ronaldinho. I've left out Xavi. I've left out Steven Gerrard. I've left out Paul Scholes. I've picked my 11 based on what I like to watch. I've left out Busquets, who I absolutely adore and who may be, who may very well be the best holding midfielder ever. But I've gone with Rijkaard because I feel like the rijkaard Mateus partnership would work better. Redondo's the best that I've seen, but his peak was shorter. And he's also more on my favorite side than anything else. Um, like as a kid, Loudrup and, and Badju were just... Because Maradona, I was eight in 90 for that World Cup. And obviously he had his kind of issues after that. So I didn't see with my own eyes live at the time Maradona's best years, like 84 to 90. I didn't really see a lot of that other than that World Cup. But for the rest of them, I, I saw all of what they did in their best years. Baggio for Italy, for Juve, then later on, obviously, at, at Brescia and Bologna, uh, Ronaldo, the, 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 the real Ronaldo, at PSV, at Barca, at Inter, at Real, at AC Milan, for Brazil, obviously, as well. Zidane saw his whole career unfold. Rijkaard's, some of Rijkaard's best years were in the 80s, but that's fine. Same with, same with Mateus, but saw greatness from them. That back four, I just can't think of who, who would get into that back four. And the same with Buffon. And then the other team, like like I say, Paluka, the spectacular save, the short sleeve shirts. There was just something about him. Um, I loved loved Erwin. And you know, I've I've left Roy Keane out. I, Iniesta, I'm sorry, you're just out. You're just out. You're you were incredible, but you're out. It, I have to pick Roy Keane. I have to pick Roy Keane and Redondo. I just have to. So Roy Keane and Redondo. I have to pick. Oh, I've left someone else out. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm. I know I said I wanted a left left footer, and I love Daniel Agger, but I've got to go Paul McGrath. I've got to go Paul McGrath. He was absolutely incredible. So I've got Turam and McGrath with Zammer as a sweeper. McGrath could play on the left. He'd be fine. Irwin, Carlos, Keane, and Redondo. Loudrup. Loudrup and Badgie were the two for me. When I was a kid, those were the two. I just would watch any game that they played in. Like when Denmark when, when Denmark rocked up at the 92 Euros, 
there wasn't news the way there is now. Obviously, there was no internet. You, you were kind of relying on CFAX and teletext and things like that. So when Denmark got into the 92 Euros, young me was very excited. Michael Lauder, but I was going to get to see him play in, in Europe because Spanish football wasn't on Irish TV a whole lot. You get the odd game, but that was about it. Um, but you you could see the European Cup games, which is where I saw Laudrup. Uh, he was just incredible in that Barcelona team under Cruyff. I think he was the best player in that in that dream team. And, and Johan Cruyff has said the same. Um, and then I found that he wasn't in the squad. I was absolutely furious. And initially I wanted Denmark to get knocked out, but then you kind of fell in love with what they were doing. And obviously Michael uh, Brian Laudrup was there as well. So... Yeah, him, him and Badger were just it. They were just watching the play. I could, I could still li- happily sit for a couple of hours and just watch compilations of the two of them on YouTube. They're just glorious players. Um, and Suarez, he's the best player I've seen play for Liverpool. He just is. So those two, Baggio, Suarez, Laudrup behind them. Keane, I have to pick Keane. Redondo, Irwin, Carlos, Turam. McGrath, Zammer is the sweeper, and uh and Gold. That'll do me for that question. Uh, can you explain Barcelona's financial situation? Uh, the honest, honest answer is no, I can't. Genuinely, I I, I actually just can't. Uh, that's not for me to do. I, I um, Kieran Maguire, price of football, he's probably the best man for it. Can Man United face a Liverpool style 30 year trophy uh, title drought? Yes, they can. They've had a 26-year one and a 40-year one, I think, before that, before uh, Busby. So, yeah, absolutely. And they're badly run, they're badly owned, and um, I'm not sure they're particularly well managed. Their recruitment is garbage. They overspend on fairly average players and uh, wouldn't be overly surprised if they went for 30 years without a title. Remember, Arsenal are 18 years in. Without a league title. United are nine. They don't look like they're any closer than they were eight, seven, six, five years ago. So, yeah, they could. They absolutely could. It, it can happen, especially with the dominant. Now, eventually the Glazers will sell, but it's all about who buys. And with the dominance of City and Newcastle on the horizon, yeah, absolutely it could happen. It's It's not. Likely, but it could happen. What would be your Mount Rushmore of great, talented athletes who were underrated and why? Uh, Dennis Irwin would be on that. Um, Just a, a great fullback, right-footed, played left-back, could play either side, could play right side or left side of midfield, could play centre midfield. Like I said, he was, he was Philippe Lam before Philippe Lam, and I think he was a better player than Philippe Lam. Um, Rijkaard would also be on that list. Rijkaard is hugely underrated. If you, when people talk about that great Milan team, they name the back four, they name Van Basten, they name Hullet, and eventually they'll work their way to Rijkaard. Rijkaard was the linchpin of that team. Uh, an absolutely sensational athlete, a tremendous technician in midfield. And obviously, after leaving AC Milan, having delivered great success there, moved himself on to Ajax and was a vital figure in a European Cup win there. So, yeah, Frank Reichard is always overlooked. 
uh, when people talk about the greats, but right up there with the greatest midfielders of all time. If he played now, it, it wouldn't even be funny how much better than everybody he'd be. Same with Rude Hullet. If Rude Hullet played now, it would be hilarious. The gap between him and the next best midfielder, like an attack-minded midfielder. And De Bruyne is great, don't get me wrong, but Rude Hullet was... Rude Hullet could do everything De Bruyne can do and many other things. Um, so, yeah, Rude Hullet will be there. Oh, Reichardt will be there. Reichardt, Irwin. Um, I'm trying to think now. I think Bruce Smith has to be here. I think Bruce Smith has to be here. Because when people talk about the best pass rushers in NFL history, he never gets brought up. He holds the career record for sacks, never gets brought up. Two-time Defensive Player of the Year, 10-time All-Pro, 11-time Pro Bowler, led the league in forced fumbles twice, was in the 80s All-Decade team and the 90s All-Decade team and the 100-year anniversary All-Time team. But people talk about Lawrence Taylor, people talk about Reggie White, people talk about J.J. Watt, and he just now doesn't get brought up. 200 career sacks. 200 career sacks. People go on like he was some scrub. Man played 18 years in the NFL. 18 years was a vital part of that Buffalo team that got to four straight Super Bowls. And maybe it's because they lost them. Maybe that's why he's so overlooked. But Bruce Smith was terrifying. Ask any quarterback that went up against him. They were terrified of him. From his second year in the league, 1986... Until the year 2000, he only had two seasons in which he didn't get double figures in sacks. In one of those seasons, he only played five games. And the other one was his last year in Buffalo, when it was clear he was leaving and they were going in a different direction. His first season in Washington, he got 10 sacks. Like That is incredible. Just that level of consistency. Uh, career high of 19. Which I think might have been the NFL record at the time, but pretty much every year he's between 12 and 15. A couple of years of 10, 10 and a half, but most years between 12 and 15. Unbelievable. He has to be there. And my last one. Hmm. I would say
I just like that beat. Hmm. No, to be fair. I think he's probably... No, I, I was going to say Jason Kidd, but I think he probably is appreciated enough. But... The way he reinvented himself on that Dallas team late in his career, like Jason Kidd for most of his NBA career was just an all-world point guard who could do a bit of everything except shoot. But late in his career, he figured out his jump shot and he became a great jump shooter. And he was part of that Dallas team that won the title on, with, with Dirk. Do you know what? I might actually go with Dirk. Because even like he's obviously very, very highly regarded, but he's sixth all time in scoring. Scored more points than Wilt. Played his entire career in Dallas. Played on some bad Dallas teams. Was by far the best player on that team that won the title. I'm trying to think of Let's have NBA happiness. We look at the last 20 seasons in the NBA. The Lakers had Kobe and Shaq. The Spurs had Duncan. In the first title, he was by far the best player. But by the others, they had... Tony Parker managed nobly. David Robinson was at the end of his career in that first title. Um, the Pistons, the Pistons didn't really have a star. All their players were on a similar enough level. Chauncey, Rip Hamilton, Tayshaun Prince, Ben Wallace and Rasheed Wallace. The Heat had Dwayne Wade and Shaq. The Celtics had the big three. The Lakers had Kobe and Pau. Oh, Pau. Do you know what? Pau Gasol, he is my pick. He is my pick. Because I, I, Dirk is widely loved. I think Pau Gasol. 21,000 career points, 11,000, uh, almost 21,000, over 11,000 career rebounds, played in the NBA for 18 years, won two rings, in Kobe's shadow, but was phenomenal. All-time great international player with Spain. Two Olympic silver medals and a bronze in Rio. Like you look at his two-time NBA champion, six-time All-Star, four-time All-NBA, never made first team, which was a farce. NBA Rookie of the Year, All-Rookie first team, All-Euroleague second team when he was a kid. Uh, three-time Liga ACB champion, Spanish Cup winners cup, Spanish Kings Cup winner rather, Spanish Kings Cup MVP, ACB Finals MVP, FIBA Europe Player of the Year twice, uh, two-time Mister Europa Player of the Year. Yeah, I'm gonna go Pau Gasol. I think hugely, hugely overrated. And. Let us not forget, this guy was going to be a doctor. He wasn't even going to play pro basketball. Um, 
I think Pau Gasol. I think he's historically hugely overrated. Oh, underrated, excuse me, underrated. And when people talk about the Atlanta Hawks having a third pick in a draft and doing something silly with it in that they trade traded the pick of Luka Doncic for Trey Young and some bits and pieces, let us not forget that they picked Pau Gasol. Now, they traded him for Sharif Abdul-Rahim, who's a really good player, but they could have had Pau Gasol, who was a significantly better player. Pau will be a Hall of Famer. He will be both in the NBA Hall of Fame and the International Basketball Hall of Fame. He'll go in as part of the great Spain team as well. So he, yeah, Pau Gasol, he's, he's the one for me. What a career. And much tougher than he was... Great passer, great scorer, great rebounder, really, really good defender, and properly tough as well. I'll go Pau Gasol. So there you go. Dennis Irwin, Frank Reichard, Bruce Smith and Pau Gasol. Nice wide-ranging answer on that one. Um, Henners East asks, what are the best and worst celebrations in football? Could be regular occurrences or one-offs. The worst celebrations in football are when people cup their hands to their ears because you just look like idiots, uh, especially when they've had a bit of criticism and they think scoring one goal wipes away all of that poor form. Um, what are what those celebrations annoy me? There's a couple... The best, I think Haaland's um, yoga sit thing is cool. Um, I like Mbappe's hands under the arms. I like the ones where people dance and have fun. I think that's good. I think the one that annoys me is the cupping of the ears. I think that's the worst. Is there another one? Oh, no, hang on. No, no, no. It's that Sue nonsense. That's by far the worst celebration going. That's horrendous. You're near 40 years of age. Settle yourself down. Um, what would be yours if you're a footballer? Well, I don't enjoy fun or, you know, raucousness. So simple handshake and back to back to center circle for kickoff. That'll do me. Um that's two on them. Let's see. I've got one here from Alex. Alex, I did this a couple of weeks ago and found your answers very interesting. Thought I could try with some new names. I was wondering if you could provide some player comparisons for some young players in the Premier League, one based on who they, where they are now and one based on their ceiling. Uh, okay, I'll try and get through all these. There's quite a few. Uh, Cade Gordon, ceiling. Daniel Sturridge. Ceiling is Daniel Sturridge, the fit version of Daniel Sturridge. Um, where he is now, I'm not sure really. He hasn't he hasn't done enough really to know where he is now, and he's been out for so long. Uh, Tino Livermento's ceiling is is Hakimi, and where he is now is 
Ooh. Is he top 10 right back in the league when he's fit? Has to be, doesn't he? I would say where he is now. I he, he, I think he's sensational. Um, yeah, when he's if he's at at full pelt, if he maxes out, I think he be, I think he's as good as Hakimi if he, if he develops. Now I would say, looking at other Premier League fullbacks of a similar level. And he's he's a better right back than White. He's Do you know what? Not a Premier League option. This might be a bit of a I think right now he's probably about the same level as like that a good comparison? It's a different type of fullback. He's because that type of fullback didn't really exist all that long ago. Like he's not Mycon level. Mycon was kind of the first of that type of fullback. Not a. I'm not talking about an Alves a playmaker. I'm talking about that direct pace, dribbling ability. Um. I'm struggling with a historic one, but I think if he max with, with with what his level is now, if he maxes out, he's as good. At, I think he could be Hakimi level. Uh, Armando Brogia now he's as good as Danny Welbeck. I think he's better than Danny Welbeck. If he maxes his talent, if he maxes his talent, where does he get? Actually, you know what? I'd say now. Now he's as good as the best version of Divock Origi. If he maxes out his talent, I think... I don't think he'll ever be world-class. Like, like top four or five strikers in the world. I don't think he gets there. I think he can get to the level below. Like someone that's regularly 18 to 20 goals a season in the league and couple more in Europe, leads the line well, tough for defenders to deal with. Like a Chris Sutton. I know he's not playing anymore, but that sort of level, like the best, the best level of Chris Sutton. Uh Rayan Ait Nuri, if he gets now I would say Rayan Ait Nuri is as good as Luke Shaw. Now Luke Shaw has declined a little bit, but I put I put Ait Nuri on that level. Uh, if he maxes his ability, the sky's the limit for him. Like it really is. If he maxes his, his level, he'd be the best left back in the world. I I think he will be the best left back in the world if if he maxes his talent. And I know there's some really good young left backs, including a certain fella at Bayern Munich, but I, I think he's going to be a better defensive player than him. Um, if Emil Smith Rowe maxes his talent, he can be Pavel Nedved. But injuries are the concern. Now, I would put him on the same level. I think he's as good as Sancho. When he's when he's fit, I think he's as good as Sancho. I really do. I think he's brilliant. Uh, Jed Spence, if he, max, if he maxes, he's my con. 
If it's a big if, though, he's Mike That's the type of player he is. Right now, he's probably a little bit below Livermento. He's probably sort of. I mean, <sighs> Sufal. I think he's as good as him. Uh, Fabio Carvalho is an, a really difficult one to kind of pinpoint. If he becomes the best version of himself, I think it's a wide-ranging scale. Like He might end up as a player who's like a Jared Bowen level, who's great for a fifth to ninth place team, but not above that. If everything went perfectly for him, maybe a bit better than that. Uh, he's obviously a different type of player to Bowen. That might be a bad comparison. Now, though, I mean, he's a good player, but he's got a long way to go. I'm not really sure on that one. Uh, if Gavin Basunu maxes his talent, I think he's probably looking at the Premier League. I think he's better than Ramsdale if he maxes his talent. Right now, I would say he's Probably if he maxes his talent, I think he can be kind of a top six goalkeeper, like a big six goalkeeper. But right now he's probably in the he's probably in the top twelve goalkeeper. There's not many great goalkeepers in the league. It is a it is a weak league in that position. I'm just trying to think who's sort of on a similar level. I don't think he's all that far off that off that level anyway. I, I don't know. I don't know with Basuna. Goalkeepers are hard. Um Michael, I'm just gonna pick one more. Michael Elise, if he maxes his talent, he can be as, as good as anyone in the league. I think right now he's like a slight level below Bakayo Saka. I but I don't think it's a huge gap. I really don't. I think he's so gifted. If he maxes his talent, he can be... He could be Kevin De Bruyne. He, I genuinely believe he could be a left-footed KDB. I think he's that special. I would spend all the money to buy him. I think he's that gifted. Yeah, I'll leave it there. Um... Right, I think I've got a couple more on Discord, so I don't spend too long. I note that we're already running quite long on this one, so try and get this done uh, as quickly as possible. I think there's, I think there's one, if not two. Um, okay, AMK two eight eight nine. Where would you rate Philippe Lam as uh, right back? Right back, he's top five ever. Left back, he's probably top, maybe top 10. But as a right back, he's top five. Uh, defensive midfielder, I would, no, I'm not even going to compare him. Um, overall defensive, Billy's very, very good. Very, very good. Um, struggled a little bit in the air because he's only 5'7", but he was tenacious. He was great. Great 1, 1v1. Absolutely sensational 1v1. A clinic in how 
to just take a winger out of the game. Body position, moving the feet, quick hips, little burst of acceleration, making the winger make the decision, not lunging in and, and letting them away. Sensational defensive player. Uh, how do you think Xabi Alonso will get on? I don't know. I hope he does well. Uh, what do you think of Kareem Kanate at Salzburg? Asks Rick. Um, I haven't seen him play. Isn't he at Liefering on loan this season? I think he is. I haven't seen him play. Um, Tom James. <laughs> it's the big question if he slips. How do you stop Haaland? Um, I think there's only one defender in the world who can stop him. And I think it's Virgil. The issue is he tends to live on the left side of the attack. So on the right side at centre-back. So he won't be going head-to-head with Virgil. Now, I would have confidence in Kanate to deal with him to an extent. He can match him physically. He can match him for pace. He can match him for strength. I don't know that Matip can. But you've answered your own question. Stop the supply line. That's the last four words of your message to me. Stop the supply line. I agree. You have to cut off the supply line. You have to stop Phil Foden getting into the positions in the wide left area. You have to stop Kevin De Bruyne running into that right half space and just picking those pinpoint crosses. If you stop the supply line, you will stop Haaland because he's not an inventive player. He's not going to go out 35 yards from goal, pick it up and beat a couple of players in the dribble. Now, if your defensive line is skewed, he'll make a run and he'll find a cross or a pass to somebody else. But he does have technical deficiencies in his game. His touch can be iffy. He can get the ball stuck under his feet when he dribbles a little bit. can overhit the dribble as he tries to burst past people. But you can't really stop him so much as just stop the ball getting to him. Just take him out of the game that way. Shut the supply line off and he will not hurt you because he's not the type of player who makes things happen for himself. And last question, bit of a what if. What if Raheem Sterling doesn't leave Liverpool? How good does he become? How do you think it plays out, etc.? I have pondered this more times than I care to admit. I think Raheem would have been sensational under Klopp. Um... Now, the balance of putting Raheem and Mo either side of Bobby might have been off a little bit because they both want to play in those sort of narrower areas, whereas Sadio on the left loved dropping wide. So I think if you were getting Sterling, if you you kept Sterling, you probably don't buy Mo. You probably don't buy Mo unless you're going to change the system and play some different way. Because if you think of when he was at City playing on the right, he played a narrow inside forward the way Mo got a lot of his goals over the years. 
kind of playing out to in. If you look at how he played on the left, he played it very differently to Sadio. He played it much narrower than Sadio did. Um, he would start narrow and kind of work his way out, but never too far out. So I think he would be a Mo alternative rather than a rather than a Mane alternative. Now you could play Mane in the middle of the three, and maybe that would work. I think he would have become great. I don't know that we would have been as good, but I think we still would have been really good. But yeah, I, I Sterling is fantastic. He is absolutely fantastic, and always has been, and was treated horribly by Liverpool. We'll do the gossip and be done. Southampton are set to sack Ralph Hasenhutl after the club's poor start to the season. So says Sam Wallace and John Percy in the Telegraph. Has that that hasn't nothing's come of that so far. Uh no, no. He spoke to the media a couple of hours ago, but not a surprise that his job is coming under threat. He's been there a while now and never really seems to have gotten the balance completely right. Um, but they haven't really given him the best tools to make it work. So I'm not sure how much of the blame you can put on Ralph Hasenhutl. Certainly he should have done a better job building up that kind of defensive solidity over the years, but there's only so much you can do. I do know Tino Livermento back at training on grass. So that's a massive plus for uh, Southampton. Now he's obviously still a while away, uh, but yeah, I mean, sensational talent. Absolutely love watching him play. Um, Steve Cooper is a potential candidate to replace Hasenhutl. He's now staying. Forrest faced competition from Leicester to land Rafa Benitez. If they decide to stack it, it looks like Cooper is staying, so we can just move on from all of this garbage. Liverpool will consider a move for Jamal Musiala should they fail to land Jude Bellingham. So, so same, fail to land Jude Bellingham. So they'll sign a very different type of player uh, if they fail to land the number one target. Musiala is sensational, but he is... I just don't think he's ever going to leave Bayern. I mean, he made a decision to go back to Germany to play for them. Now, perhaps Chelsea could have swayed him and kept him if they'd been willing to offer him a path to the first team. Um, But he's a German international. I'm not sure. I'm not sure he'll leave. I'm not sure he'll leave. Not from Bayern. If he was at Leverkusen or Dortmund, then yeah, but not from Bayern. Uh, Naby Keita will not discuss a new deal with the Reds until January. Naby Keita is not discussing a new deal full stop by the sounds of things. Uh, Declan Rice will be Chelsea's top transfer target in 2023. Uh, Everton will pay just 4.5 million to turn Connor Cody's deal. Well, that's contradictory to what's been said. Because most reports suggest it's a 10 million buyout, but it is, to be fair, it is John Percy and Mike McGrath. So, yeah, it's that's John Percy and Mike McGrath. So, look, I mean, Cody is going to get found out that that deep block will, will crumble at some point. Um, Barcelona have agreed to 
permanently sell Antoine Griezmann to Atletico Madrid for half of their original €40 million Euro asking price. Uh, it puts that charade to, to bed. Arsenal are monitoring Marcus Rashford's situation at Manchester United. Lionel Messi has yet to receive any contract offers with his PSG deal expiring at the end of the season. I assume he goes back to Barca at the end of the season. That's my assumption. I think Xavi is coach. I think Busquets will go for a year to MLS and then come back in some sort of backroom role. There's already been a lot of rumblings that PK is a future president of Barcelona, and I think Messi will want to be part of the hierarchy there as well. Former Olympiacos manager Pedro Martins is close to being appointed as manager of Hull. Uh, Talksport taking credit for that. They stole it off real reporters. Uh, Eddie Nketiah says he is frustrated at his lack of game time since signing a five-year deal. Um, you took the 100 grand a week over the opportunity to go and play elsewhere. You cannot complain about that. I'm sorry. American group LAMF Global Ventures Corp uh, have expressed an interest in taking over Everton, but a deal is not thought to be close. Uh, LAMF replacing LMAO. Uh, that'll do. I'll see you tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.